Pixel Therapy is a member of the But Why Though Podcast Network. Go to butwhythopodcast.com for an inclusive geek community offering pop culture news, reviews, and podcasts. I mean, we just see so much hate in the gaming community all of the time. So to make a space that is just radically kind is somewhat unique, especially mm. when you have all of these people who are out here just, they they just wake up in the morning and they choose hate. I'm sorry that that's what you choose when instead you could choose kindness. Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Every other week, we bring on a guest who may or may not consider themselves a gamer to discuss the games that have made them and changed them, and all the feelings they have about our favorite pastime. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronouns she, her. And I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. Uh, we have got we've got some news and noteworthies for you this a week. I, of the news and noteworthies. Buckle up, as they say. <laughs> uh, we're going to start with our Patreon monthly shoutouts. This is our special thank you to the folks who subscribed at the name in the credits tier or above over on patreon.com slash pixeltherapypod for the month of March. Those fine folks are Yinka, Val, and Jane. Big thank you to those three for continuing to hold down the fort and subscribe in on that month-to-month basis. We really appreciate you so much. If you want to get your name in the credits like Inca, Val, and Jane, you can head over to patreon.com slash pixeltherapypod and check out our plethora of perks that start at just $2 a month. And I'll net you a monthly bonus episode, which at this point... You've got like five whole bonus episodes banked in there. You pay two dollars. You got five whole episodes. It's a uh, that's series. exactly. That's you know, that's just like prime Spencer and Jamie content. Um, with discussion topics such as our favorite games of all time, games we're drawn to during the holidays, our New Year's gaming resolutions, video game crushes. And uh, most recently, in March, we did a fantasy video game draft for 2021, making our picks for the games we think are coming out this year and are going to review best. And I actually have a little update on our Fantasy <gasps> Critic League, because there's been some shakeups, and there's, oh, been some, there's been some points <gasps> that have been earned by both of us. Um, so if, if you want to follow along with what Spencer and I are doing here, you can go to fantasycritic.games, make an account, and search for pixel therapy pod uh, which is our league and you can uh keep track of the score or start a league of your own uh, if you're interested in doing this but uh so so when we first drafted i had picked gotham knights uh, by wb montreal and literally like four days after i drafted it they announced that the game was not going to come in 2021 Uh, (laughs) it does be like that sometimes so i had to drop that and i decided to pick up monster hunter rise which Mm. uh, is a switch game came out a couple weeks ago and so i have that game on the board with some points and you spencer actually have two games on the board (gasps) with some points soulstorm came out so spencer you have points for both it takes two and odd world soulstorm now uh, hilariously enough, it takes two in Monster Hunter Rise. I think both came out on the same day and mm. were eighty were scored uh, on the critics. The critics gave them eighty eight 
for both of them. And so we tied at 18 points there. (laughs) Uh, But then because you have Oddworld Oddworld Soulstorm out as well, uh, that unfortunately only netted you two points, (gasps) currently sitting at a 74 74, on Open Critic. (laughs) <laughs> uh, so you are in the lead by a meagre, meager two points. It's 20, 20 to 18. Um, we also just learned that what I thought was going to be my next game coming up, Deathloop, just got delayed, to, but only to September. Mm. So still. Deathloop looks really cool. It's kind of like 60s vibes. Is that mm-hmm. 70s? 60s, 70s. I don't know. I could never pinpoint what it's. It's retro. I think is what you would call it. Yeah. Reminds me of a VHS tape. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So that's that's the current current score is nobody likes this ink. Eighteen points. Meow meow beans. Meow meow beans. Twenty points. Uh, See, so do you have a leg up right now? Uh, we'll keep, yeah, we'll keep y'all incorporated. Thank you. I, well, I don't think it says that in the thing. So I'm just reading what I have here in front of me. Just working <laughs> off the information that I have. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, if you want to hear the original draft of us uh, and our silly shenanigans as we picked our fantasy games, uh, just pop over to patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod and sign up at that $2 a month. And uh, if you're not interested in doing that, no worries at all. There are lots of other ways to support the show and a big one is rating and reviewing us on your podcast platforms, specifically right now on podchaser.com for the month of April. They are running their annual Reviews for Good campaign, where every review left on the site earns a 25-cent donation towards Meals on Wheels America's Go Further campaign, which supports the more than 5,000 community-based programs across the country that are dedicated to addressing senior isolation and hunger. The Meals on Wheels network serves virtually every community in America, and along with more than 2 million staff and volunteers, 2 million, delivers the nutritious meals, friendly visits, and safety checks that enable America's seniors to live nourished lives with independence and dignity. During the COVID-19 pandemic, they've been working to expand their reach with a goal to add 19 million meals and 1 million seniors to the program. So that's what the Go Further campaign is all about specifically. You go over to podchaser.com, leave Pixel Therapy and maybe your other favorite podcasts a review. And you'll be helping us and chipping in on this important program at the same time. So check that out if you have a moment. Mm-hmm. The only time you'll get paid to leave podcast reviews. <laughs> well, you won't get paid, but somebody will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Those are all the updates I got for you this week. It is time to get cozy. It's time to pull up an armchair. Feel free to lie down on your couch. We're going to talk about our feelings. Spencer, how are you doing today? Well, Jamie. <laughs> If it sounds like my voice is coming to you through a ghostly echo chamber, that's because it kind of is. <laughs> I am <laughs> sitting in, uh, this feels weird to say, but I, my partner and I bought a house. <laughs> and I think, I guess I wanted to mention it to everyone just because the story of how we got here is just kind of funny because you also <laughs> bought a house. I did also buy a house. We bought houses. Like, <laughs> not the I, same house, different houses. No, unfortunately, not the same house. Um, <laughs> tragically, some might say. Um, yeah. I tried to get one on Jamie Street, but it just wasn't happening. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting in an empty, it's empty right now, um, because turns out buying a house is expensive. Just kidding. Like, there's just some, we got stuff to, to get over and live in an apartment still. So it's empty, but um, we like to come and spend time with the house and just make sure it's well, yeah, why still not? there. And so I'm coming at you live. Um, 
with my co-host, Birds. <laughs> you might be there. <laughs> Uh, chatty Kathy's out here in the countryside. Uh, like, well, trying to podcast, do you mind? But they uh, they don't seem to care about my knees. <clears throat> um, but yeah, this is very fun. Um, but essentially, like, it's just kind of crazy because a couple years ago, um, Jamie and I live in, in Boston, Massachusetts, in the U.S., and Jamie one day was basically like, so I was thinking about taking this first-time homebuyers class. It's like free and it's like a couple hours for a couple weekends and it's just to learn about what it takes to buy a house and I just was like I'm coming with you <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I, just, I don't know what it was I just um it we went we had a great time um and then two years later I don't know like you bought a house too so like it's just kind of crazy because <laughs> we both ended up closing um the same week and yeah um, it's just very, just very us, a series yeah. of events. Um, but really, I don't know. I think I'm still kind of blown away. Just, um, I, I just in general, I think Americans aren't really educated on like how to buy a house or how to mm-hmm. do things that would, you know, help you survive in a capitalist society in terms of <laughs> like equity, building equity and, and, uh, stability and stuff like that. And so the organization that we learned our home buying class from, um, called, it's called Maha, uh, based M-A-H-A, based in M-A, if anyone, based in M-A, based in, based in Massachusetts, if, ever, <laughs> if anyone's interested in looking them up. But they really just empowered us to, to think, um, you know, just outside of, uh, you know, not necessarily having to be in downtown Boston. It's not the only place mm-hmm. you can buy houses. Like, I think they really opened my mind to, not that I ever, um, like, I think I've always wanted to live in a more rural area when I eventually settled down, but just sort of thinking outside of the limitations of how impossible it feels to afford anything in a city. Like, there's so many other options and there's there's aid available and there's, special types of mortgages and loans that you can get where it's not like you need 20% in cash right now, um, yeah. which is so unattainable for so many people. And so I think just for my partner and I as a queer and trans couple, and also as people who don't have like generational wealth to fall back on, it's mm-hmm. just been really amazing to have this happen. And I think, I mean, if you hadn't said that to me two years ago, I don't think I'd be here right now. And also just in general, like, I don't know. It's just life is crazy. Uh, it's exciting. I, f- I feel very lucky and also just excited to be building equity as a quote unquote marginalized person. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I don't know. It's cool. I was, I'm glad we were able to do the class to, together. Obviously my, yeah. my partner came to you and, um, it was nice to not to like know someone else in the class and be able to bounce stuff off of like what we were learning. And even having been in the class though, like going through the home buying process was still just such a fucking oh. whirlwind. And we were constantly like feeling sick to our stomachs and Googling and trying to figure out how things were supposed to work. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I just like, I feel like you experienced this too, but so much of it came down to like, just having to trust our realtor and like what <laughs> yeah in, in our case he was telling us yeah and it, yeah i don't know it's like scary. if if he had wanted to screw us over i feel like he could have uh, very easily because you just 
you don't know what you don't know. And it's, these systems are not set up to be accessible mm-hmm. um, to folks who don't like swim in those waters yeah. on a regular basis. And so it is a really scary process, but you can do it. And there are resources out there. Um, Even just and, having each other too, to that, like, like mm-hmm. when the anxiety, it's such a big shift. It's like, it's hard to even articulate how much has changed it feels like almost like having a, what I imagine having a child feels like. like it's just a big <laughs> life change that affects you in ways you don't even anticipate. And I feel like yeah. I've gone through the range of emotions. Like even though I'm I'm happy, there's been moments of fear and regret and bargaining and like all of these things that, mm-hmm. that have this waves of emotion. And I feel like if I didn't have you around to be like, I feel crazy right now. Like, I make a terrible <laughs> mistake. And you being like, oh my God, I know exactly what you're talking about. Don't worry. <laughs> like, that helps too. So I guess if anyone has home buying questions, just email us, pixeltherapypod at gmail.com. This is a video game podcast. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we'll become, uh, you know, tips for your home, your first home buying experience. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say though, that like going through the home buying process, I now feel like I can t- like tell any, like, I feel like I'm an expert, even though I did it one time. Like, I don't <laughs> actually feel like I'm an expert, but like I know yeah. other people who are looking at houses and I'm just like, oh, here's how that works. As though my mm-hmm. one experience like would carry <laughs> over. So I'm just like, oh, I'm just a know-it-all asshole. Um, but, but also uh, the, the one thing that we had in common that I've heard other people say too that I think is really important to put out there is literally the night that we closed on our house, right? Mm-hmm. Or not closed, sorry. The night that our offer got accepted. And it was like, okay, you know, we we actually had to offer on multiple houses because the housing market in Massachusetts right now is a little bit hoo-hoo. And uh, people are, I, I think actually at this point, it's it's gotten to the point where it's really, really difficult to get anything because people are just making yeah. offers without even seeing the houses. But very Can't competitive, <laughs> very competitive uh, market right now. We got it, finally got an offer accepted. And the first thing I felt was complete and total existential dread, like, mm. and complete like regret and complete, mm. complete like we've bought. And literally up until the day of closing, like mm. literally we came and saw the house the morning of closing. I was like, did we get a good house? This Is this too small? Is the backyard not big enough? Like, is this not going to work? Is our shit not going to fit in here? What are we going to do with this space? Why does this look like this? Why is, there, why is there debt in the wall? Why does all this need repainted? I didn't know that this is what this looked like. Why didn't the previous owners clean? This isn't broom clean. We're going to have to hire somebody to clean. As I like just sit on the floor in the smallest bedroom and like yeah. try not to cry because yeah. I just signed the next like 30 years of my life away. Mid. So I I think that's all very real and I think it's part of the process and I think it's okay to be scared. And also now a week and a few days later, I'm feeling much different about it. Like we've gone through the gamut, you know, and I feel like you're probably in a similar place. You guys bought a, you know, very different house. You're moving on a different trajectory, but yeah, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's a big stressful life event and it's okay to feel all of the emotions about it. Exactly. So yeah, it's been been lots of change, lots of good change, lots of processing. Um, I'm excited to. So I guess I just want to say uh, thanks, y'all, for letting us take a few minutes to talk about this. Uh, I know it's not super video game related, but um, it's it's been a very consuming the past few weeks. So um, I definitely have dialed back a bit on my on my game time, not by choice, but because of circumstance. <laughs> it's um, never by choice. <laughs> I do feel though that I've, 
I've been looking for comfort and familiarity because so much of my mm-hmm. life is is shifting and changing. So um, mm-hmm. something I've been getting really into lately is playing Stardew Valley. Um, mm. Stardew Valley is like a farming simulation game that was uh, created by one person, developer Concerned Ape, over like seven, eight years. Um, it's a game that was really heavily inspired by games like Harvest Moon um, and... I guess specific, specifically Harvest Moon uh, and Miyazaki films. He was really inspired by the kind of aesthetic of, you know, the dust sprites and the kind of mm, nature mm-hmm. and 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 um, the, the mysteries and magic of like being among nature and, and caring for animals and um, being in touch with, you know, the pastoral uh, environments. I say as I sit in this house surrounded <laughs> by the same, the very same. I'm in a very Stardew Valley vibe right now. Um, yeah. My new town is, is very small. It doesn't have a local government. It just has a town board. And in the middle of the town square, there's a bulletin board where folks all over the community can post things for stuff they might need or stuff they're looking for. It's oh my very God. charming. Um, so you so, literally moved to Stardew Valley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're starting from the ground. We have two acres that is completely just open to us to do whatever we want. So I guess we can figure that out. <laughs> I'm planning it all out in Stardew Valley first. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah Let me just tell you, a pumpkin does yeah. not sell for like $400 in real life. For just FYI. 13 days. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, it's so easy to be a millionaire farmer in Stardew Valley. And it's just, that is not real life at all, but I wish. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's, there's something about that game that has charmed so many people. Um, I think too, the, the new story of seasons game came out, which is the latest title from the original folks who, uh, the Japanese team that made Harvest Moon. Mm-hmm. And, um, as I was playing it, I, I think what's interesting about the new story of seasons pioneers of Olive Town game is that it <laughs> too is, is very inspired by Stardew Valley and how Stardew Valley picked up things of Harvest Moon and and optimized them and and updated them. It feels like that that team has then been re-inspired by that to create the game that they've made now with mm-hmm. Olive Town. But I found that I just it made me nostalgic for Stardew. And so I, so I picked it back up. It's um highly recommend for folks who are looking for what some might call a cozy game or something uh lightweight and um easy to jump in and out of. Um, I've been playing it on the Nintendo Switch, like handheld, which is mm-hmm. different from mm-hmm. how I played it originally in 2017. I played it on the PS4. Mm. I've got to say, um, there's been a lot of, first of all, there's been a lot of updates to Stardew Valley yeah. since then, like, uh, more missions, um, more crops, more events. Um, like it's almost like a updated game. Like it, it's, it's, there's a lot about it that, uh, like you can tell that the, um, there's, they're still caring about, serving the people who continue to play the game mm-hmm. and making improvements, which is nice to see. Yeah. Um, but playing it handheld has really brought a new level of intimacy to it. Like I, I found that I've really enjoyed buying games that are becoming available on Switch um, that I used to play on Steam or on console again, um, just because, I don't know, I, I've gotten so used to the distance of playing with a console and a television and there's something, like, I can curl up with a with my Nintendo Switch. I can take mm-hmm. it outside. I can, um, you know, get in bed and cozy up. Like, there's just a lot of flexibility to how I'm playing and because it's so close to my chest, so close to my 
my heart. I know there's something <laughs> about it that feels really comfy, and so I've really been enjoying that. And I guess the nice thing about uh, me playing Stardew Valley is that um, my partner is able to claim the PS5, and so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my how the turns of table the turns of certainly table um, yeah but i'll keep this quick i just wanted to mention that uh i have been doing some they friend reviewing of um <laughs> red dead online uh so red dead online okay so red dead redemption 2 is like a really popular game it's like you're this cowboy arthur and it's like this beautiful tragic story um Mm. and then red dead online is so it's an online multiplayer game developed and published by rockstar games as the online component of red dead on of red dead redemption 2 um Mm. it came out in may 2019 um for a ps4 and xbox one and then for it's also available on pc and stadia uh, as of november 2019 but it's basically like you are experiencing life on the open frontier um, of this map that's based on basically early 1900s America, um, like right when it was on the cusp of the Industrial Revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just, I'm just going to Google Industrial Revolution to make sure I got <laughs> that right so that someone doesn't tweet at me that I'm a bad person. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I'm wrong. So the Industrial Revolution was the period from about 1760 to 1840. So somewhere in there. <laughs> <laughs> Only about 150 years off. That's yeah. okay. Hey, I was right. I was right here. I was nodding along. I was like, yeah, you got you're it. You're with me. You got you're it. <laughs> I don't understand how yours work and I don't know history. So yeah. So whatever. <laughs> We're gamers, not historians. Um, <laughs> anyway, so Red Dead Online, it's really fun because um, it's just this very open world where you can you can be a hunter and hunt animals. You can be a collector and look for treasures. You can be a naturalist and um, study plants and not kill animals, but just knock them out, collect samples and kind of fill your journals. Like it's a very immersive um, game for people who want the experience of really living in the world of, Re- of Red Dead. Um, and I think one of the things that people really love about the Red Dead Redemption series is that it's so grounded in realism. Mm-hmm. Like it's a game where time passes, where you have to make sure to feed yourself and take care of your horse and, and feed and care for your horse. Um, you can get sick. There's, uh, you know, you have, you have to cook and, um, it's just, it's really known for that immersive quality. Um, and I think it, yeah. it too, something that strikes me about Red Dead is that even you as the protagonist, I think in a lot of games that are still supposed to be quote unquote realism, there's still a bit of like super poweredness to your character. Like you can jump on natural mm, heights mm-hmm. or you can survive, you know, incredible amounts of violence on skates. <laughs> and in Red Dead, it's like, if you get shot, like you're kind of fucked and mm-hmm. you can't just catapult yourself over these jumps like you have are basically limited to kind of what a human body is capable of doing mm-hmm. um and so that kind of just it really grounds the player and i and i can understand why people love living in this world like it's super detailed um i think the, the flip side of that is because it's such a a world that is that is so rooted in its immersive realistic qualities it 
it makes it more disturbing for me because the game can be very Westworld-esque. And by mm. Westworld-esque, Westworld is a HBO TV show about a simulation where people can basically live out um, living in an Old West world. <laughs> <laughs> but um, essentially, it's basically just a place for people to act out the fucked up desires and urges that they have in real life but can't do because of the rules of polite society. Mm. And like... Aaron, the way Aaron plays Red Dead, which I really respect, I think some, one of the reasons I avoid online games is that I get very caught up in like being polite and doing what other people are doing and having friends. Um, <laughs> and Aaron is very much in it to like be alone and and have his relaxation time. Mm-hmm. Like, so, like he'll be like collecting plants. So, Aaron, sorry, Aaron's my partner, and he's the one who's been playing. Um, I've been watching him, and um, like he'll uh, like you'll see other players from time to time. And there was this time where um, you can emote, so you can, te- you can hat tip to someone or you can wave. <laughs> and so Aaron waved to someone, someone waved back. And then the guy started following Aaron and inviting oh, him no. to be in his posse. And Aaron was just like, no. Or like he'll help someone, like, like someone's horse died and he gave medicine to the horse and, like, like he likes to help people, but I just, I, I don't know. I was really struck by how, the healthy, healthy boundaries he set around his play. Like I was like, <laughs> wow, you can say no to invites and it doesn't make you a bad person. Like I just really respect that. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, you know, he'll be leaning down to gather plants and all of a sudden you look to your right and you see a player's horse riding by with someone um, tied to the back of the horse that they're dragging along the ground which is something Mm -hmm. that you can do to other people. Mm -hmm. I've also read online, you know, reports from women who play Red Dead online and they talk about how um, they absolutely have to design their character to look like a really buff white man because if certain groups, there are these groups called posses, like you could form groups with other players and you can either, so part of the Red Dead system is there's a morality bar. You can either be a bad person or you can be a good person. Things like caring for your horse and helping people, raise your goodness points, things like killing random people or robbing folks and stuff lowers your honor. Um, And so he'll see things like, um, or sorry, things I've read from women online is that if they don't make themselves look like the super buff white man, um, what will happen is that posses will surround them. You can do this thing where you can tie someone up and put them on the back of your horse. And I've seen stories from women talking about how Groups of men, and also trigger warning if people want to skip ahead, uh, like 15 to 30 seconds. I'm just going to mention like the just description of violence, but essentially they'll, uh, threaten assault, um, tie them up, put them on the horse, drag them around, beat them up, kill them. Um, but basically the act of not just like, I think in a game that's, like a shooter, like when I'm thinking of like the overwatches of the world, someone just shooting you is a pretty common thing to happen, like dying suddenly. But yeah. it's the extended torture of tying someone up, putting them on your horse, riding around while you describe all of the terrible things you want to do to them in real life, and then killing them is a really mm. horrifying thing. Um, yeah. And that's going to happen to Aaron, like uh, because he's a peaceful player, for the most part, it, the more peaceful you are, the less you're able to be seen by other people on the map to kind of protect you from encounters oh. you don't want to have. Um, mm-hmm. But there have been times that posses have found Aaron and when a bunch of people are overpowering you in Red Dead, there's really nothing you can do other than watch yourself get tied up and dragged around by a bunch of assholes. Um, wow. So it's just, 
I don't know. It's been fascinating to watch because I think the fact that this world is not so far removed from our real mm, world mm-hmm. makes the violence that I see in the game more disturbing than it would be in yeah. a game where violence is the expectation. Um, and I know that Red Dead is is a rough and tumble world that is, you know, supposed to emulate the dying out of the cowboys and the last frontiersmen and, and maybe people, you know, want to do robberies and, and have fun shootouts and stuff like that. But this kind of violence that I'm supposed to talk about, this targeted violence yeah, is different. something much more sinister. And um, so it's just, it's just been really fascinating because I've never really uh, seen a game like this before. Yeah. And that's, it's, yeah, it's so much more disturbing because of the way the game is inviting people into the space to just exist the way yeah. they want to exist and that this is not, it's not a quest. It's not, right. it's not tied to anything that gets those folks who are doing that, anything in the game, except for like their own pleasure at being sadistic fucks. Yeah. And that even though they're not doing it to a living person in like real life, it's still, you're still doing that to another player who's sitting on the other end of that controller on the other end of that screen mm-hmm. and having to watch this. Ha- yeah. That's really fucked up. That's really yeah. fucked up. Yeah, and it's very... <laughs> the reason I say it's very Westworld is because Westworld like, could be a very scary, violent show. And I don't know. It's, it makes you think about, <laughs> is there any kind of simulated peaceful world that we can make that people won't fuck up? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ooh. But, uh, whew, spooky. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's online. Seems like a great time. Um <laughs> Jesus Christ. I do like that if you're, that's a cool system that they've added that if you're generally peaceful, you're kind of hidden from folks who are running around doing more violent actions. But mm-hmm. yeah, when I hear stuff like this, I just wonder like, how do you, know, how does Rockstar, the developers of this game, how, do, how could they create systems to prevent this kind of, like, they mm. must know that this is happening, right? So either they don't care or they do care and they just haven't found a way to prevent this. Right. I, or they think that it's part of the game and that that should be left in to let people do stuff like that. Right. Like, I feel like this is exactly one of those situations where someone talks about, hey, it's kind of traumatic as a woman for someone to threaten me for extended periods and I can't do anything about it and but besides wait for it to stop. And someone being like, well, it's a game. That's what you're, it's just a game. That's what you're supposed to do. It's about, you know, being rowdy and, and doing like, yeah, I can, I can see that just like <laughs> this idea that because the violence is a fantasy that it, that its implications don't exist outside of the screen is, it's is just, like, I don't harmful. believe that though. Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, I just wonder how many people at Rockstar can empathize with the experience of <laughs> being someone that that happens to. Like, I, I just don't mm-hmm. know if, if they understand, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It just, it, what you're describing feels very far removed from the way violence manifests in a lot of online games where it is, it's a competitive shooter and mm-hmm. everyone has like signed up to have this experience and killing is just like part of the way that you score points. And it's not, the focus isn't on the violence it's on the mm-hmm. competition do you know what i mean yeah um, you know when you when you kill someone and you know you mentioned overwatch or call of duty because that's part of the mission that's what everyone's doing and you immediately respawn and that's what you signed right. up to do and there's no there isn't this prolonged like 
there's consent involved, right? Like you both agree to come into this game and have this experience with each other. And that's the way you're going to act versus what's happening in red dead, which is people are not consenting to have this experience. Um, Or I guess you could say that like, well, they turned the game on, but just that Mm -hmm. there being such a breath of what you can have in this game. If that's like the other side of the coin that you have to accept to play it, like, that's enough mm. to make me not interested mm. in yeah, jumping they have, in. They have this feature um, called defensive mode that you can turn on where I believe when it's on, um, it's like you're effectively invisible to anyone who's in offensive mode, which is like that you're discoverable for fights and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. But what happens, what seems to happen is that if you're in defensive mode and you fire a shot or you take out a weapon or whatever, it's automatically switches you to offensive mode. But sometimes if you're in defensive mode and you are still getting attacked, the only option you have is to defend yourself. So yeah. why should that open you up to more? Like I think if anything, they should, they need to improve the user, the user of their defensive mode and make maybe make it a bit more robust in terms of settings because right now it just seems to sort of arbitrarily flip on and off and you don't always know when you've been switched back into offensive mode which just opens you up to more bullshit but at yeah. the same time people who want to engage in the outlaw stuff or like the missions involving shootouts and stuff should be able to do that without yeah. being virtually sexually assaulted you know what i'm saying like yeah yeah, yeah so I don't know what the solution is because it's 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 a game that I think one of the, the beauty of it is the freedom you have to truly live in this world and be whatever mm-hmm. you want to be. But the flip side of that is like, where's the line? Of, yeah. I mean, of course, sexual assault is way over the line, but it's like, how do we maintain that feeling of freedom while uh, mitigating the, the bigotry and the hatred that comes out of that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Where are the queer trans posses? (laughs) (laughs) There you go. There you go. Let us make naturalist posses where everyone, like, I think if we could form communities, like you can in um, ARC Survival Evolved, where you can make all sorts of groups, like, I think maybe that could be a key to it. Like, let us make communities that are centered around other things besides the the violence part or or make it easier to find posses who are into the same kinds of activities that you're in. Um, Yeah. Just maybe that's part of it. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so Red Dead Online, check it out. Be careful. <laughs> uh, what are you playing? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. So, I mean, as we were saying, like, we just moved, um, or I just moved. We both just got houses. There's been a lot going on personally. Uh, work has been very busy to you for me. Uh, so my gaming has also taken a little bit of a, a dip and, and I just haven't had, brain capacity for anything too uh deeper intense so kind of kind of in that same vein um so i've been hopping around and trying a lot of like i've played a little of a lot in the last mm. few weeks um but something that i kind of wanted to focus on today is that i wanted to talk a bit about xbox um mm. i think that you know we mostly talk about playstation and nintendo on this podcast <clears throat> and that's because yeah. I'm a total Sony pony. And that's then- one of the gayest phrases I've ever heard you say. And I love it so much. I hope you never stop saying it. <laughs> and that's, that's what people call uh, people who are like Sony fanboys. <laughs> and I don't know if I count as a fanboy. So I'll say I'm a Sony pony. I want to be a Sony pony. You can be a Sony pony. We'll all be <laughs> Sony ponies. <laughs> we'll gallop into the sunset. Together. 
Um, anyway, I'm a big Sony fan. I've, I've had PlayStations my whole life. That's where I've done most of my gaming, but Xbox, I've always like kept a keen eye. It's just a lot of the games that they are most well known for tend to be shooters, uh, Halo Mm -hmm. and Gears, I think being their two biggest franchises, that's Halo and Gears of War, which are both shooter games, uh, military shooter games. And that's just never really appealed to me. And so I've tended to go more towards what PlayStation has on offer and the, the first party games that they have. But I want to talk about Xbox because I decided to pick up an Xbox Series S, which is the uh, when the new consoles launched last fall, Xbox came out with the Xbox Series X and the Xbox Series S. And the X <laughs> is... 4K, like, blah, 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 like graphics that'll make your eyeballs bleed. Um, nice. And it's like a $500 console. That was like their competitor for the PS5. I was like, I'm not buying two $500 consoles. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get the PS5. I'll be all set. No worries. But the Series S kept calling my name. It's this cute little white box. <laughs> well, cute, cute little white box. Uh, it's only 300 No, only. It was $300, mm-hmm. which is on par with the Switch. Um, cheaper than the other big guys yeah and xbox has this thing called game pass which is essentially a subscription service for games like netflix for games you pay depending on what type of service you want anywhere from i think it's like 10 to 15 dollars a month Mm. and you get access to a library of games that you can download and play uh, without any additional charges aside from your monthly fee So I'd been kind of interested in this and the library of games that that would open up. They're also putting a ton of independent games on Game Pass. So cool. And I was very intrigued by it. Well, in just this, these last few weeks, they've been like, they've been making some really cool announcements that are very exciting. And I'm very quickly watching my Xbox become like my (laughs) indie game machine, which is such a weird shift from what I ever would have expected for Xbox. But (laughs) yeah. So on March 26th, uh, they had what they called the ID at Xbox showcase. I believe ID stands for independent development. I mean, that makes sense, but I'm not 100% sure. I haven't seen it spelled out anywhere. So ID at Xbox program. It's like their program that they do to support independent game development. They had this three-hour-long showcase, which I did not watch all of because, my goodness, that's a very long showcase, um, that was just indie games. There was not a single AAA big deal game in there. They showed uh, updates and new trailers for over 80 independently developed games in the showcase. And of those 80, 23 of the games that they showed uh, were confirmed to be coming to Xbox Game Pass at launch. So that's games that when they come to console, they are going to be part of Xbox. If you have Xbox Game Pass, you're going to be able to download and play those games for no additional cost. How much would they be, like, not on Game Pass, like $40, $50? Not on, I mean, it, it really depends. Independent games kind of, like, run the gamut. Mm, so true. could be anywhere from $10, $15 to, I think, usually most smaller games you see kind of top out around $30, $40. But yeah. definitely, you know, some of them can go higher. Some of them can be the $60, $70 range. So... But like for someone like me who wants to play a shitload of these games, what I've ended up doing on my PlayStation, you know, and we've talked about my horrible backlog, like I get these, you know, get these games $10, $15 a pop. That shit adds up versus a $15 monthly subscription where you have access to basically everything you want to play for the year. It, it does make a big difference financially. Um, yeah. 
But of those 20, uh, 23 games that they announced that are coming first to Xbox Game Pass, for one thing, I was super fucking excited because three of the games are ones that we are already that are already on our radar and that we're really excited <laughs> for. That's Backbone, which is made by our our friend Alex, who guessed it on episode fifteen uh, from oh, yeah. Eggnut. Uh, Boyfriend Dungeon, which we talked about <laughs> in the episode where we did our fantasy draft uh, on the Patreon, and She Dreams Elsewhere, which is another one that, we ta- that we've talked about both mm-hmm. uh, normally and in the fantasy draft. So three indie games that I was already really excited for, and then like I probably added another dozen or so <laughs> like games to my must-play list for this year that are coming straight to Game Pass. And I just... It's so fucking cool because... so. The game that I've been playing the most, I actually just beat last night, is called Narita Boy, which is one mm. of these indie games that they showed at the showcase and it launched. It's by Studio Koba. Came out March 30th, straight to Game Pass. I think it's like $20 or $30 on PlayStation, but I was able to get it for no additional charge through Game Pass. I probably wouldn't have picked it up right now uh, if I was yeah. only playing on PlayStation or maybe ever. Um, but I watched a trailer and the music was so cool. It's got this great soundtrack um, by an artist called Salvinsky. The studio cool. itself was like 10 people when the credits rolled. It was just like 10 people, like names came across. Wow. And I probably wouldn't have played this game if it wasn't for Game Pass, but I, I spent the week playing this game and it's so fucking, it's such a good game. It's such a great little game. It wasn't like, it didn't change my life, but it's mm-hmm. this uh, side-scrolling Metroidvania. Um, you play as Narita Boy, who is a uh, samurai warrior wielding the Techno Sword which is wow. made up of the three colors of the trichroma, red, yellow, and blue. Uh, it's got a 80s uh, retro futuristic vibe where it's like it's like video games, but like the way we imagine futuristic video games in the 80s. Like it's like kind of Blade Runner Tron. It's, it definitely yeah. gives me some Tron vibes. Um, but Narita Boy gets pulled into the video game world. Um, into, oh. And he's a hero of the trichroma kingdom, I think they're called. Um, and so you go to the three different houses of the colors of the yellow, the blue, and the red, and you have to liberate them from this, uh, this villain who's spawned from the red beam named him and him and this, and his, his minions called the stallions are taking over the code. (laughs) They're taking over the code in the, in the trichroma kingdom. Sounds like a dungeon party I've been to. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah. So it's, you know, As this is fun action game, it was challenging, but it does that thing where that that's like my my favorite thing about games that have challenging combat is if they just if you die and they just respawn you right there. Like mm-hmm. I never felt like I was losing progress. A battle might take me several tries, and like the enemy's health bar goes back up, but I'm not having to like retraverse some whole long mm-hmm. area to get back to the fight to then die. It was always just like okay, here you go, and pretty much all of the fights like all of the combat scenarios, it has a save right after. So it's like, if you go through one panel and you get your ass beat, you're just going to have to do that panel again. You're not going to have to do nice. the four panels before that. Um, that. So very low frustration, um, but still like fun and challenging combat, trying to master it. Um, the like meta narrative of the game is uh, like within these all these trichroma people they're some of them are very religious some of them study Mm. the code there's like priests who pray to the ancient algorithms it's all Mm. like very i kind of got a little lost in the narrative but like the aesthetic of it overall was very cool and they um they're like god in this world is the creator the person who Mm. like originally made the game 
and you're actually <clears throat> going through and trying to reinstate his memories so that he will rise up and destroy him once and for Whoa. all. So you're unlocking the creator's memories and getting these really cool segments where you just kind of walk through this gray, like sort of grayish black and white world where you're watching these important moments from the the memories of the the person who made the game. Wow. Not the person who made Narita Boy, but the person who made like the meta the game within the game world. Yeah. And you basically realize that uh He'd had some trauma in his life and that him is a manifestation of like all of his dark and like like his sadness and his mm. anger and his uh, grief. Uh, and so him has risen up out of that um, and has taken over the world. And you have to and Narita boy is actually his son. And you have to remind <gasps> him that Narita boy is his son and that he needs to overcome him in order to be there for his son. And that's like, yeah. So it ended up having like a pretty heartwarming story. I, I won't spoil the actual ending, but the actual ending was very fucked up. Um, and it looks like they're setting up a sequel. So okay. that's cool. Um, but yeah, very it was just a, up. <laughs> I'm uh, do you want me to, I, no. I can, okay. I won't spoil it then. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was a great time. It was like less than 10 hours. And I, nice. I just, I would have never picked this game up if it wasn't for Game Pass. It was just so easy. I just saw it there. I watched the trailer. I was like, I like the songs. I was like, this kind of game, like a Metroidvania action platformer game, not usually something that I'm going to go for. Mm -hmm. But because it was on Game Pass, I was like, I'll just try it. If I don't like it, I'm not out anything, right? I can just uninstall it. And then I ended up playing the whole game and really, really digging it. So... Mm. I just think like what they're doing with this is it's very cool anyway. And I think it's also super fucking cool for these indie devs because they're getting paid to be on gamepad. Like Xbox is paying them to do this. Yeah, yeah. They're getting fine, you know, some financial security through that process. Like I've never seen one of the contracts, but I think it's generally assumed that like they sign a contract with Xbox to come to bank game pass and they're getting a lump sum of mm. money. Uh, mm. You know, some developers have come out and said that, like, basically those kind of deals are what just, like, gets them in the black. Like, it's mm. just like, then they don't they don't have to worry about sales. Like, the check is cut and they're set and they can do their next thing. Just focus so, on creating. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's, like, so important for sustaining indie development. And it gives, like, me as a player access to all of these games that maybe I would have picked up piecemeal, but it would have been a lot harder to make that commitment on an unknown mm. property. Um yeah. Or it'd yeah. be like years later that like I find so many cool indie titles. It's like it came out in 2017, but I'm just hearing about it now because mm-hmm. finally enough people have played it for it to be discoverable on any kind of platform. And so like, yeah, I, I love, I hope that, that it continues to grow in a sustainable way that continues to be equitable for the developers because I, I really love that concept. And now I'm starting to consider bringing an Xbox back. Into my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the, the series S it's, it's like, it does fine with graphics and stuff. It's not going to be the powerhouse that the X is, but like for what I'm using it for, where I'm playing a lot of these indie games, it's just, I, it's been, it's been great. So I feel like we were talking about the other day how just a few years ago, X Microsoft and Xbox had such this reputation of being like the console that was watching you uh, <laughs> sitting on your couch and preventing you from what from inviting other people over to, to watch HBO at the same time. And mm-hmm. they were at the forefront of, uh, you know, technology is is always on and always watching us. And they got such terrible backlash for that. Um, and so I think for me, a lasting impression I've had of Microsoft is like, oh, they are the embodiment of 
you know, commercial game development that's just out here to make money and stop gamers from accessing content that they're not putting behind a paywall or somehow managing continued revenue over time. And like, I don't know, I just, I really saw them as like these money grubbers. And so it's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I credit a lot of that to their current, um, Oh boy. I don't know his title, but he's he's the guy. He's the one that we all see, which is Phil Spencer, I think. Mm-hmm. Hold on, I'm going to Google real quick. Yeah, Phil Spencer, Xbox, is he the president? Head of Xbox is what it says okay. on his Twitter. Um It says yeah. executive vice president of gaming at Microsoft. So there head you of go. Xbox is probably yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like in summation the head of Xbox. <laughs> Uh, he's, he's really done a lot to kind of change that perception of the company. And, uh, I don't know. He's just, he's like the face of them. He comes out here. He says interesting stuff on a regular basis. He feels very accessible. I don't know. It's still a big corporation and you know what, just this year they just went out and fucking bought ZeniMax, which is like all of the Bethesda studios. And now all of those games are going to be exclusive on their consoles. Like that was, you know, They've got that Microsoft money behind them. Like these are not necessarily our friends, but I think it's cool that they're doing this. I'm pretty sure they're only doing it to be competitive right now because like they're not doing it the good of their hearts, right? This is going to be good for them. It's going to be good for Game Pass. It helps fill out that monthly subscription, but right now it's good for gamers and it's good for these indie devs. And I think it's a cool program. So we haven't done a little Rex in a long time. <laughs> I introduced that segment and then like never came back to it because the whole point was like, Rawr! Uh, we do a little Rex uh, when, you know, we didn't have time to play other games, but I want to just throw it out there. My, I, I'll do a little Rex today and it's, it's actually kind of a big Rex, but it's a little Rex. Xbox Game Pass uh, is, you know, like I said, you can get it for anywhere from 10 to $15 a month, but specifically what I'm talking about uh, today is the $15 a month Xbox Game Pass Ultimate subscription, uh, which comes with xCloud for Android. And the reason this is a little Rex is because you can play this shit on your fucking Android phone. You do not need a console. You do not need a console. Like all the games that are in Game Pass? Not all of the games that are in Game Pass, but a fucking lot of them. So there's like 150-ish that you can play on your Android phone. 50 of those support touch controls. So the other 100, you would have to get an Xbox controller and connect it to your phone. But 50 of those games, you can play 50 games, $15 a month on the xCloud, on your Android phone, streaming it to your phone with touch controls. Uh, some of the games, they just announced this week, actually, that they, they're at 50 now. They're continuing to add touch support for as much as they can. But it's really, they're doing like really intentional touch support where they're designing the touch support around the game. So it's not just a blanket touch controls that kind of work for some things and don't work for others, but like just some of the games that you can play on X cloud right now on your phone is like shit, like Celeste, wow, uh, Minecraft dungeons, dragon quest, 11 gears, (laughs) five, you can play gears five on X cloud on your Android phone. Sea of thieves, spirit fair. Tell me why. (laughs) Slay the Spire, which is an awesome card game. I mean, you you can go find the list uh, online. Wow. But it's a great fucking deal. It's a great way to access games if you don't have the money to invest in a console right now or you just want to try some stuff out. It is only on Android right now. However, the iOS beta is supposed to be launching soon. 
Um, the whole reason it's not on iPhone yet is because uh, I don't know if anyone knows this, but Apple does not play nice with people who want to like sell things through their own online yeah, we store. Microsoft was bad. But... <laughs> yeah, uh, Apple's Apple's been kind of dicks about it, so they they had to like work around it by creating something that runs in a browser instead of an application on Apple. Mm. That's been like their workaround. So uh, that'll be coming shortly, but it is on Android now. Uh, folks should check it out. I think it's a really cool program. I think it's a great way to get access to a lot of good games in a really like cheap and accessible fashion. So nice. that's that's my little Rex for you. Boom. Rawr. Thank you. Rawr. All right, let's go ahead and transition over to our guest for you today, which is the underscore Juliancito. Julian is a Twitch streamer and friend of our episode one guest, Zombie Kills, uh, who you'll hear him mention in this episode. In his Twitch bio, Julian says he's a queer trans Puerto Rican Jew who is passionate about fighting injustice. He's been a very vocal proponent for a trans tag on Twitch, which we discussed in detail with him in the interview. And he's part of Radically Kind Gamers, which is a collective of radically kind content creators focused on building radically kind communities and quality content creation, which uplifts others and spreads joy through random acts of kindness and charity work. We had a really thoughtful conversation with Julian about representation and allyship, particularly on Twitch, and where some folks get it right and some folks get it wrong. He's a chill, pleasant person, and we really enjoyed our chat with him. We hope you all do, too. So without further ado, here is our interview with the underscore Julian Cinto. Hello, and welcome to our wonderful guest, the Juliancito, who is a Twitch streamer joining us in the Pixel Therapy Pod virtual studio. Um, Julian, can you tell us a little bit about, well, first, we always like to ask folks who join us on the show what their pronouns are. And then secondly, um, tell us a bit about uh, what kind of streamer you are and what people can expect on your channel. Sure. Yeah. So uh, my pronouns are he, him, and uh, I am a variety streamer. So I do a little bit of everything. Uh, I've played Animal Crossing, Pokemon, uh, Dead by Daylight, Don't Starve, um, Stardew Mm. Valley is another good one. And uh, I did also do a cooking stream recently, although those are a little bit more rare. So yeah. Okay. So like, Cooking streams, is this kind of like a mukbang situation or is it more about the process of of making something together? Yeah, so I started, um, so I, yeah, we started just the whole everything from the beginning and then kind of went from there. Uh, I did take like a couple of bites at the end because I figured, you know, (laughs) everybody's watched me make this whole thing the whole time, (laughs) but uh, it was a lot more comfortable to just end stream once it was over and then yeah. go and eat on my own. <laughs> yeah, that's your reward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and Julian, what is your history with video games? Oh, I've been playing games for as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably picked up my first controller when I was maybe three or four years old and I was playing on an NES you know, playing Super yes. Mario Bros. and Duck Hunt. So, yes, oh my it's, gosh, yes. yes. <laughs> so mask. <laughs> yes. And uh, as you've gotten older, like, uh, have your tastes changed at all? Like, how do you uh, relate to gaming now? Hmm. I mean, 
I guess my tastes haven't necessarily changed, but expanded. Mm. Um, you know, there's so many more games to play now, so many other options. Uh, I do still enjoy playing Mario games. Uh, I was into Mario Maker 2 for a while. My levels were terrible. Don't play them, but I enjoyed <laughs> the game. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I've I've even started playing some horror games, which I never thought mm. that I would do, but... You know, somehow you just kind of get into things, especially when streaming, because like your community will want to see something or they'll suggest a game and, Mm. uh, you know, and quite frankly, sometimes jump scares do make good content. (laughs) Yeah, like I've got to say, I I've known like I've been aware that Twitch exists for a, a while, but I've I never really was a person who watched a ton of streams. Um, I don't know. I guess I just. It's either like I can play the game or I can watch someone else play the game. And I feel like most of the time I end up (laughs) playing the game (laughs) for longer than I should. Um, But horror games, like when you mentioned horror games, um, the demo for the new Resident Evil game just came out. It's going to be like Resident Evil Village, I think. And um, essentially it's like V scary. It's like for folks who aren't familiar with the series, it's survival horror. um, And a lot of them, at least the ones I've played, you just wake up in a terrible situation that only gets worse. <laughs> and all you can do is run and open doors and examine objects. So it's like kind of hard to survive when people are coming at you. Um, it's very scary. But I um, was watching another content creator, Janet Garcia, uh, her stream um, of the demo, uh, which I would never be able to get through. But it was riveting to kind of like... Uh, you know, see it from the perspective of the, I guess I'm just describing why everyone watches streams, but I get it. I get it. Yeah. So Julian, something I really liked about your channel um, is that you're really open about bringing your lived experience and your identities to uh, like you publicize that in your bio as a streamer. Um, how does how do the identities you hold like intersect? What's the relationship between that and what you want to bring to your stream? Well, ultimately what I'd like to bring to my stream uh, is inclusion, uh, representation. You know, I want to make sure that everybody who comes to my stream knows that they are welcome regardless of where they come from, regardless of their background. Um, and also just to, again, for representation, especially as a trans streamer. Um, and then also mm-hmm. being Puerto Rican, being Jewish, there's, you know, I, I, I do recognize that there also is a difference between me being a white Puerto Rican and, mm-hmm. you know, somebody who is Afro Latinx. Mm-hmm. Um, but, to still also put that representation out there and, you know, allow people to see like, Hey, you know, maybe that person looks like me or has similar background to me and they're doing this, uh, you know, and you really don't see, you don't see as much of that. Um, and, and I really, so to be fair, I haven't done a ton of research into Jewish streamers, but, Mm. um, you know, just from kind of glancing around, I haven't really seen too many. Uh, and again, just representation and inclusion is, it's all really important to me and, and having a safe space. 
Yeah, 100%. You are someone who regularly collaborates with Zombie Kills, who is a friend of the podcast and also our very first guest. Um, Zombie is the founder of Radically Kind Gamers, which is a Twitch team that you are a member of. And I was wondering yes. if you could take a minute to describe, um, like, so the organization says that they're organized around bringing radical kindness into gaming. Um, what does that mean to you? Like, what does it mean to bring radical kindness um, into gaming? What kind of space are y'all trying to create? Well, we want a space that is exactly what we say is radically kind. Um, you know, it's doing things for others with no expectations of anything in return. It's being nice to others. It's being friendly. Um, it's, it's charity. It's, it's, it's pretty much everything. Um, you know, Zambe and I, we over, what was it? Christmas Eve. I had mentioned to her, we, we were streaming Stardew Valley. We had, you know, we were just kind of hanging out, whatever. And I mentioned to her about the Instagram account trans Santa, Mm. which was an account where like all of these trans youth would write in about, you know, what they would like for Christmas and things like that. Um, and like right away, Zombie was like, okay, we're doing this. And we, we ended up like, I think she had gotten, she gifted to maybe like 20 or 25 trans kids that night. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, and it was really great. And so that's the, so that's the community that we want to foster because we were able to do that because of the community that we have who was willing to donate to uh to be able to fund a lot of these gifts for these kids so it was really great so that's the kind of thing that we like to do nice and why is it so important to create a space for radical kindness in the gaming community I mean, we just see so much hate in the gaming community all of the time, especially against black people, especially against black women, mm-hmm. uh, especially against queer people. And so to make a space that is just radically kind is somewhat unique, especially mm. when you have all of these people who are out here just they they just wake up in the morning and they choose hate. They it's choose, really you know, and it's like. I'm sorry. I don't know what happened to you. I don't know like what your life experience (laughs) has been, (laughs) but like, I'm sorry that that's what you choose when you wake up every morning when instead you could choose kindness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. It's that simple, right? Like (laughs) it's a choice. Something that I admire and that you've been advocating for for a minute now um, is the inclusion of a trans tag on Twitch. Um, And for the folks at home, um, tags, like on any other social media site, they basically help people find interesting things to watch, things that are relevant to them. Um, So there are all sorts of tags on Twitch. Twitch currently has an LGBTQ plus tag. Um, but there are like several reasons why this isn't enough and why this LGBTQ tag itself is also problematic for trans folks. I was wondering if you could share a bit about this issue and why you're advocating for it. Yeah, absolutely. It's really important to me. Uh, again, part of representation having like there, there is, there is a very big difference between somebody who is cisgender and transgender, mm-hmm. uh, different experiences, Different different life experiences, different experiences mm-hmm. within the LGBTQIA plus community. And it's not always 
a safe space for us because yeah. there are a lot of cisgender gay men or cisgender lesbian women who are very transphobic and mm-hmm. who we are not welcome in their spaces. And so if I'm looking under the LGBTQIA tag, I may find another queer streamer, mm-hmm. but are they going to be accepting of me? Are they going to be open to me as a trans person? I don't know. I, I, I usually have to do a little bit more digging, whether that's looking into their panels or, mm. uh, you know, potentially even looking on Twitter to see what they've said on Twitter. Mm. Um, and so having the separate trans tech allows us to find each other, allows us to have that community. And I mean, along with the trans tech, I really do think that there should be all a variety of tags. Um, you know, I'm also an advocate for the disabled tag and for, um, you know, for, for all identity based tags, because I, I don't see why we, we shouldn't have them. Right. Like if this is another way for people to find each other, especially marginalized people. So whether you're talking about black people or Pacific Islanders or whomever, right. We all want to find people who, we might not be exactly the same. Certainly we're not. Nobody is, right? But there's a there's at least that thread of commonality that really helps to build community. Definitely. And we're not a monolith, like t- to what you just said about, uh, like why not have more specific tags within that umbrella? Like it's not like, Every, every letter within LGBTQIA <laughs> and plus could all have their own tag because the experience of each of those letters is in no way like related to one. Like we share community, of course, but it's like to act as though, oh, the LGBTQ community, we, they've all been handled. <laughs> it's like just right. just shows the misunderstanding of, of why we even needed the tag in the first place. Like, um and, and, you know, I've also seen conversation about like, oh, like as an ally, like I use the tag so that people know that I'm inclusive. And it's like, well, then that's another reason why we need our own fucking tag. Like, yep. <laughs> it's not for you. Um, yes. And like you just said, it's also a place where creators who are queer uh, or trans or other parts of the LGBTQ spectrum are probably using the tag to find each other, not like allies who are trying to gain social points because they are claiming that they are part of the LGBTQ umbrella. Yes. Which is actually another thing that I talk about on Twitter as well, because I I do not believe like that. The a does not stand for ally. The a is uh, for asexual or mm-hmm. for, mm-hmm. um, a, yeah, the a is for, a, it's not for ally. Right. And so ace arrow. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it does not stand for ally. And even though, if you technically look up the tag on Twitch, right? Like it says, and for use by allies, let's be real. How many things has Twitch gotten wrong over the last mm-hmm. year alone, right? So mm-hmm. like, are we really going to think about it and and kind of put it out there like that? Um, also, allies, you know, people who, who people who say that they are allies, but are using the LGBTQIA tag are taking up space from queer mm-hmm. content creators mm-hmm. and a true ally knows that you should not do those things. And so if you are an ally, if this is something, you know, if you want, if you want queer people to know that your space is safe for us to come into, 
make sure that your rules are very clear about no homophobia, no transphobia. Um, put it in your panels, right? Like, I can pretty much guarantee that anybody who is going to go to a streamer's space, especially as a marginalized person, is going to look at your rules, is going to look at your panels, is going to be looking for that information. And if they can't find it, they're going to move on. Mm-hmm. Have you gotten any sort of pushback or response from Twitch so far? Like, uh, what's like, um, I know that they've, they haven't implemented this, but like, have they acknowledged that this is a thing people are asking for? So they've acknowledged it on their, um, like their community forums, which the trans tag has like the most votes of anything ever on Twitch. Um, but they've pretty much said, yep. We know this is a thing. Thanks for bringing it up again. Stay mad about um, it. <laughs> right, exactly. Even, you know, w- when we finally were going to have that town hall talk, we were all like, oh, okay, finally we'll have like some time to talk about this. Except that they kind of steamrolled over it in like five, mm. ten minutes and we're like, yeah, we know that this is a thing and trust us, we know better and we know what's going to, you know, we don't want you to face any harassment. And so we're just going to, you know, not give you the trans tag because of potential harassment, which can we talk about the amount of harassment that's already rampant on Twitch, like (laughs) that they're not doing anything about and marginalized people on Twitch already have these defenses in plan, you know, like Mm -hmm. there's a button on my stream deck that specifically is if I get hate rated, it clears out the entire chat. It puts a marker on my channel so I can go back to that later if needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns off all of my alerts so that anybody with, you know, questionable names will not show up if they follow me. So, like, there's all of these things already in place. Plus, we all have mods who are right. ready to drop the ban hammer at a, at a <laughs> moment's notice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I, you know, it just seems like such a a strange response like oh well, we don't want you to be harassed well we're already being harassed you're already not doing anything yeah. about it so why don't you just let us handle it and be able to find each other right and also it's your platform so like the idea that uh it's like oh our hands are tied like you might get harassed <laughs> like we can't oh no what do we do it's like first of all you know i work in software design and what you're saying about like the tools you're using for your for your own stream, like if anything, having a trans tag, knowing that that might be even especially vulnerable to hate, that makes it even easier for you to know where to design and put in your your hate stoppers. Like, like that doesn't make any fucking sense to me. <laughs> nope. I'm sorry, and I I am enjoying the fact that on the LGBTQIA plus tag, they literally say the A is for allies because I assure you that whoever put that piece of UI in there was probably not a queer person. <laughs> nope. Nope. Certainly was not. Yeah. God. So it's, it's definitely frustrating because it, it seems like literally every other week I'm seeing on Twitter. Oh, we got to talk about allies not using the LGBTQIA tag again. It's like, can you, right. can you, can you just not? <sighs> oh, allies. Like you just, it's I it's frustrating when 
there's, I feel like the people who use the label ally to describe themselves are also the types of people to be the most defensive of their allyship and kind of like the people that you end up having to do the most handholding for. Like, as you said earlier, the point of an ally is not to create more work for the people you're claiming to be down for or there to protect. So like, just stay in your lane, y'all. And yep. if you want to help, like fucking watch and subscribe and uplift and promote queer people's dreams, queer people of color's dreams. Like, yep. hello. Um, what kind of, I should have asked this earlier, but like, um, if you, if you're comfortable sharing, like what kind of shit do cis people try to pull? Like when you encounter like, uh, like being unsafe as a trans person in cis gay and lesbian channels, like what kind of shit happens? I mean, luckily I have not had to encounter any of that directly, mm-hmm. partly because I do kind of pre-screen where I'm mm. going and where I'm going to be hanging out. Um, but I do know, just just for anecdotally mostly, that it is sometimes not always a safe space. Um, you know, claims that, well, oh you're not really a man or you're not really Uh, a woman. Um, Oddly enough, very like heteronormative mm, type of projections on people. mm, Um, You know, so, but again, luckily I have not really had to deal with any of that myself because I try not to put myself in those situations. So, yeah. 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 That, that resonates. Like, it reminds me of this the whole this whole conversation about the LGBTQIA plus tag. Um, it reminds me of when I was looking for a therapist the, the most recent time, and on PsychologyToday.com, which is like they have this filter where you can like look up therapists in your area. They have an LGBTQ tag, but similarly to what to what happens in Twitch, like I was experiencing a similar thing in real life where I would make appointments to talk to these therapists who said on their profiles that they were LGBT plus. And then what would happen is I would be two, three, four sessions in and I'd be hit with something like, Oh, like, um, do you think that maybe society would take you more seriously as a trans man if you tried binding more often? Or like, did you think that maybe like, uh, you'd have less gender dysphoria if you stopped painting your nails and tried to act more like a man? And it's like, Hold up. Like, not only have you lulled me into a false sense of security by claiming that you are LGBTQ+, you are literally using the fact that we have this shared connection to, like, get... like get a close enough to me to unleash your bigoted shit on me as if you're helping me. Like, it yep. was always said with the most utmost concern, like, oh no, like, I'm one of you. Like, like I get you. Like, I'm a gay man and I get that you're just a woman pretending to be a man and I'm trying to help you. Like, like I have to like, and that's the kind of bullshit that we have to deal with all the time when we're trying to navigate these spaces where they claim that they're representing all of us when they're really just representing the like, you know, this major, this not even majority, just whoever's the loudest and gets the most visibility, I guess. Like it's, yeah, I mean, whoever whoever is the closest to the quote-unquote societal norm, right? I mean, right. we talk mostly about cis 
gay white men Mm -hmm. because they are the closest to cis white men who Mm -hmm. have the power, right? And if they are able to... How do I say this in a way? So if they're able to kind of uh, present their sexuality in a way that is accepted by the straights, right? By, Mm -hmm. by the, um, you know, the majority in society, then they are that much closer to the quote unquote norm. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas Mm -hmm. you're getting, um, you know, and, and I mean, we've seen it all throughout queer history, right? Like cis, uh, cis gay men did not want to associate with lesbian women, mm-hmm. did not want to associate with gay people of color. Like it's that proximity to the head. I think I'm going to say this right. It's the proximity to the hegemony. Yes. That, um, <laughs> that people often try to strive for and don't give any consideration to the fact that we are actually stronger together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And that like our differences aren't a threat to you. Like, right. I think sometimes hashtag not all cis gay men, just kidding. But like, I just know <laughs> that I don't, I know you just, it's okay. Y'all it's okay to be, to feel a little uncomfy sometimes. Sorry. We still love you. But like, um, <laughs> it's just like, I, I find that sometimes, uh, especially when I'm trying to have conversations like intergenerational conversations with like older cis white gay men who are in my life, like, there's sometimes this defensiveness of like, I went through, I had a horrible childhood. I was afraid to be who I am. And now when you act like that, when you don't conform to a gender ideal, when you act like a faggy, like a gender, like when when you're throwing these rules out the window, it makes me feel bad because I had to fight just to be taken seriously as a man. And it's like, I, and I'm so sorry that, that, that you feel like you have to replicate the violence that they've done to you in order to keep me and us safe. Like that's wrong. Don't you see that that's hurting all of us? Like, and it's Mm -hmm. not your fault. Like how else can you survive unless, you know, unless you take on, like, if you don't have community, if you don't have uh, support, like, I can see how taking on the traits of the oppressor is, was the only way that you see of liberating yourself. But you have to be able to pause for a minute and understand that, like, you continuing that cycle is not gonna liberate any of us. And it's just gonna cause more pain. So... Uh, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, on this podcast, 
we typically ask folks to share a specific game that had some sort of impact on their life. We really are all about the emotional connections, the impact that games can have on us. Um, and you mentioned, I mean, it's no secret to anyone of your fans or your followers that you are a lifelong Pokemon fan. Um, so maybe let's ask, what was the first Pokemon game that you played? Like, what was the one that made you fall in love with Pokemon? I think what really made me fall in love with Pokemon was the card game. And then, of course, I played Red and Blue and, you know, and and all of that. Um, but definitely, the, I think the card game is where I really got my start. Uh, that was where, like, my street cred started, which was <laughs> my binder that I would carry around everywhere. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> I also loved, uh, like, when Pokemon the Movie 2000 came out, and I think other Pokemon movie releases, there would be, like, special holographic cards that would only be coming out with the movie. I still have my ancient Mew card. I have several Uh, of them, actually. Yes! (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, If you have an ancient Mew card, you're trans. That's (laughs) the rules. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Um, So... What, like, okay, so you fell in love with the card game, like, like, what is it about Pokemon? Like, like, what is it about Pokemon that um, is so spellbinding? Well, for me, it was a couple of things. Um, As far as the card game goes, it was the first time, you know, when I was playing it and in the area that I was in, the card game was predominantly a lot of boys that were playing Mm. it. Um, And so for me, that was really special because I got to feel like one of the boys for the first time and didn't really get a lot of pushback from it. You know, if I had tried to play football with them, well, no, you can't do that. Or if I tried to do, you know, anything more physical, right? Like, oh, no, you can't do that. But Pokemon was kind of my way to make that connection and be one of the boys for the first time. And so that's part of the reason why it's so special to me. And then the other is, is also just the anime um, and how much it focused on friendship and kindness and supporting one another and being there for each other. And, you know, even if things got tough, you know, you just, you kept going and that was, that was it. It's empowering for for children to be reminded that like they have autonomy and and strength too. Like, I don't know. It's uh, like, as a kid, you spend a lot of time, you can't wait to be an adult. And I think, and and when you see a lot of video game protagonists, like they are adults and and they're strong and capable and they know all the answers and they have had years of experience and they're, you know, forged by fire. Um, And I don't know, it's just nice to be reminded that um, all types of people have the capacity to go on a heroic journey. (laughs) It's true. Uh, you know, as an adult, like, has your how has your relationship with Pokemon shifted? Are you are you still playing Pokemon games? Are you still watching the anime? Oh yeah, yeah. I still I still play. Um, I've played. You know, Sword and Shield was, of course, is the most recent one. Uh, and I am very very excited for the Pokemon Snap too. I was oh like God. screaming. <laughs> I yeah. was so ready for that. Um, it's funny because I had been talking about that for a while. Like, oh man, I really wish they would remake Pokemon Snap. And literally the night before they had finally announced that they were going to make it, I had been talking about it with my girlfriend. So when I woke up the next morning, I was like, <laughs> "What just happened? They heard me this is actually real." Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was, um, I forgot about, that's a deep cut. Like, uh, that was like N64, I want to say. Yeah. Um, such a surreal and enjoyable and, uh, unique game. I'm really excited. Uh, but for folks who may not be familiar, Pokemon Snap, you're basically like this anthropologist person and you're i think you're on an island and you're trying to learn about the pokemon who populate the island and you basically ride around in this car and it's um i've even seen it been, been described as like a first person shooter but that's like not what it is i mean technically you're you are <laughs> looking through the lens of a camera and shooting pictures of pokemon um but it was a really unique game in that like um, I feel like for its time, like like you could capture all sorts of different pictures depending on what moment you press the shutter button. So you could get a really funny pose from a Pokemon. You could get like them from behind or it's like a really rare Pokemon and it's just a blur in the frame. And so it really captured that excitement of like wildlife photography. Like it really felt yeah. like you were really immersing in the the kind of world of, of what it's like to encounter a wild Pokemon, um, which the RPGs don't really capture in the same way like you're just in the tall grass the screen starts flashing and then you're confronted with a pokemon but this really makes them feel like creatures yeah yeah (laughs) i agree i'm really hoping that they will also have some sort of integration with the (laughs) vr labo kit oh my god because you can in that there's the one kit where you can make the camera and so if there was the integration where i could like just take my little labo kit and you know like do all the Mm -hmm. pictures and oh man that would be so cool Okay, so I am not familiar with this Labo kit. Like, can you describe it a bit more? Yeah, so there are I, there are several different like kits, and so mm. depending on which one you get, um, you get it's literally all just cardboard pieces, and then you pop them out and you stick them all together, and you build things that then you can use with the switch. And so the VR one. Um, there is like you can build the camera, you can build um there's like an elephant mask thing. I forget exactly what the whole purpose oh. of that one is, but like there's like all these different things that you can build with it that are then integrated in. And so with the camera one, you literally take the switch out of the dock, you put it into the like the eyepiece or whatever you want to call it, and mm. then you hold it like an actual camera and you can like kind of look around and take pictures and you're in that world. So that would be so cool. I would love that integration with Pokemon snap. Like you never need to leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is really cool. I just want to, I just looked this up. Folks can check it out at labo.nintendo.com. It's like labo.nintendo.com. And as Julian was describing, it's like these, uh, these kits, these, thick paper cardboard base uh kits kind of like um like a model airplane or something like you break the pieces out of a preformed uh piece of square of of cardboard then you can build these objects and they're like uh i don't know if all of them are vr related but no, uh, just the, like, yeah just the one yeah, it's like different controllers or it's like mm-hmm. um, ways of bringing – like there's uh, one that you can use with racing games that's like a steering wheel and a pedal. So it's yeah. like bringing the Switch uh, into a physical space and really involving kids in the engineering of uh, – mm-hmm. or adults of um, – I think that's really cool. It kind of breaks out of the 
uh, of sort of tying a game necessarily to just a screen. Yeah. Um, There's one you can build where like you're a robot. Yeah, that's it's so super cool. cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sony, hello. Uh, can you start making something like this? Yes, I'll hold. Uh, I need this. <laughs> yeah, and it's a lot of fun. Like, you know, I, I know there was a lot of like, oh, this is just for kids. Like, oh, I don't want cardboard or whatever. But like, when you actually have it and you're building everything and like, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And something I really enjoy about Nintendo, um, I think this has been true for a while and I see this with like the ring fit as well, but they're always trying to kind of play with what can a Nintendo console be or like Mm -hmm. how should people interact with a video game? Um, I, I think it can, for all of Nintendo's, uh, faults like i i do think that it is really exciting to have a company that's always taking that risk of like just trying something that might not work with the consumer but being like this could really bring joy to people's lives or really make gaming like a family thing um yeah yeah it's it's cool and i wish more companies would kind of think about it like that um yeah so Julian, it's been lovely hanging out with you. Um, where can folks follow you online? Uh, let's start there. Where can folks keep up with you online? <laughs> uh, on Twitch, Twitter, pretty much everywhere. It's the underscore Juliancito. Twitch, Twitter, TikTok. Uh, oh, what, what's, what's your TikTok vibe? Like, what kind of videos do you like to so, make? <laughs> so I've just started on TikTok. And I only have two videos on there. One <laughs> is talking about how it's not safe for trans people to go mm. into, you know, cisgender, lesbian, and gay streams. And the other, mm. I actually just uploaded a trans tag sea shanty. Oh my so, god, yes. <laughs> Everyone yeah. watch it. It's so <laughs> it's so good. Hulan <laughs> has the voice of an angel. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and I got really lucky. Um, you know, my I, I was struggling with the harmony on that. So my friend Lugi Tanuki uh, came in and did all the harmonies and like mixed the track for me. So I was very thankful that, you know, he was able to help me with that. Julian, thank you so much for joining us on Pixel Therapy. It has been absolutely wonderful hanging out with you. Thank you for having me. up for today's session of pixel therapy thank you for tuning in and we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own if you want more pixel therapy come check us out at patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod where you can snag that monthly bonus episode for just two dollars a month plus opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly If you're not up for contributing monetarily, but you enjoyed this episode, there are lots of ways you can support us for free, in particular by reviewing us on podchaser.com as part of their Review for Good Month and following us on Instagram and other social media at Pixel Therapy Pod. That stuff is just as important, and we appreciate it just as much. Remember that Pixel Therapy is a happy member of the But Why Though Podcast Network, so you can support us by supporting them and heading over to butwhythopodcast.com, that's though with a T-H-O, take a peek at the inclusive geek community they're building around pop culture news, reviews, and kick-ass podcasts like yours truly. And you can keep up with all this stuff and more by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. Finally, since you like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, we end every episode with a recommended side quest. 
Thank you so much to Julian for the recommendation for this week. Um, and this week, the, re- the side quest is the Deaf Queer Resource Center, uh, also known as the DQRC. It is a national nonprofit that works to support, inform, empower, and bring more visibility to and awareness about marginalized deaf LGBTQ communities through events, fundraisers, and advocacy. They are currently going on over a super cool redesign of their website, um, which is can be found at deafqueer.org. But you can also find them on Facebook and Twitter at deafqueer. Awesome. Thank you for that side quest, Spencer and Julian. That is our show for today. So go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more pixel <laughs> therapy. <laughs> Oh, he nailed it. <laughs> 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 <laughs>